Here's your host, Alex Garrett. All right, and with me today on the Alex Garrett Sports Spotlight, we're shining it on someone you might have heard in a late August broadcast with Susan Woolman on WFAN, a guest play-by-play announcer, although he's been doing it for years in Indianapolis, but he finally got his shot to do it on WFAN with the Yankees, Howard Kelman. Oh my gosh, how we have been looking forward to this for a little while, and it ties in perfectly, but it's Aaron Judge hitting 61, but I want to first ask you this, what was it like on WFAN doing play-by-play, a 50-year request finally granted, a wish really finally granted? Not quite that long, but close to it. Uh, it was a lot of fun, Alex, and it was a great opportunity. And it was on a Friday night, Labor Day weekend, and Susan was very, very helpful. Jack Maldonado was the same, the producer, engineer in the booth. There were terrific people with whom to work, and I had a lot of fun. Wish the Yankees done a little bit better. You know, they were on a losing slide. So what was that like as you saw them struggling in the booth? Well... It's just, uh, you have rough games. They have turned it around the last few weeks. They're playing very, very well. They, as you know, they clinched uh, the Eastern Division title. And uh, at that time, their lead was down to about four games or so. But they broke it open with really good play. So you're, it's, it's one game. And, and that's all it is. And you do, as Earl Weaver said, this isn't football. We do this every day around here. You know, so it's just one game, and it was a lot of fun. Well, let me ask you about this, because you had had written a letter to George Steinbrenner. That letter, I guess, was answered by him. Tell us how the backstory of all this came about. Well, I wrote to him in 1973, the year that he bought the ball club. And I was a junior at Brooklyn College at that time. And I had just got my first break in the business broadcasting St. John's University basketball games for an FM station in New York City. And so I wrote to Mr. Steinbrenner, and he let me use vacant broadcast booths. Nowadays, there aren't too many of those, because just about every game's on TV and radio. But there were a lot of games won on TV back then. So I got to know the Yankee announcers. They'd walk over at times, and Frank Messer said to me, just send an inning of play-by-play. That's all they'll really look for. I sent an inning of play-by-play from a Yankee-Red Sox game. I remember it well. It was a Thursday night in September and I wrote a letter to every minor league baseball team and there were about 110 of them at that time and I was pretty naive I got about 25 answers and my naivete was such that I thought the reason I didn't get more answers is that the letters were being lost in the mail and obviously that wasn't the case just a lot of people don't respond there were three job openings one of which was in Indianapolis so I sent them an inning of play-by-play. This was an era when cassettes started to come in their own, but I still sent a reel-to-reel, a little better quality than a cassette. And about four months later, I was hired, and it's worked out beautifully for me. Well, let's talk about that, because I know that you are sort of a voice of Indianapolis. You do a lot of different things, and you have a website as well. Right. I broadcast yeah. Indians games, which I've done for 46 seasons now. I also announced the high school football and basketball game of the week on television, which I've done for 32 years now in central Indiana. The games are on TV. You mentioned the website, and that's because I'm also a professional speaker. I travel around the country giving speeches. I spoke in Wisconsin two weeks ago and Indiana last week. So I have a great 
situation doing all these things. I want to ask you about the live reads because you seem to really nail them on FAN. They're a little different, though, in your regular play-by-play job, right? Yes, and uh, I was told about the live reads, and as I said, Jack, Jack Maldonado was great. The producer handed them to me. I handed them back, and thank you. It's nice of you to say that. It didn't bother me in the slightest, and uh, look, I understand, and I've done that on baseball broadcast and on football and basketball broadcast, too, quite frankly, Alex, so I was prepared for that, and Appreciate the compliment, and the whole experience was a lot of fun. Well, obviously now, let's get to your book, 61 Humorous and Inspiring Lessons. I'm imagining that was inspired by Home Run 61, right, and that year in general? I wrote 61 lessons, humorous and inspiring lessons I learned from baseball. I was a nine-year-old boy living in New York and loved the Yankees growing up, and I remember that so vividly. Uh, fortunately, I'm blessed with a good memory. It served me well, and I remember those great Yankee teams, not only that year, but in the period 1960 to 64 when they won five straight pennants. So, as I said, I wrote 61 lessons to honor Roger and the 61 homers, his pictures on the cover, and uh, lesson number nine is about Roger Maris, too, who is a former Indianapolis Indian, Alex, and by the way, when the Indianapolis Indians hired me, uh, Max Schumacher, who was then president and GM, told me that he knew I was a Yankee fan because of the, the uh, tape I had sent him of the Yankee Red Sox game. And uh, he said, you know, Roger Maris played for the Indianapolis Indians in 1956. And that meant so much to me to hear that Roger Maris had played for the team for whom I'm going to broadcast. And it still means so much to me this, this day that Roger Maris was an Indianapolis Indian. All right. Well, a guy that you were able to call on WFAN, Mr. Aaron Judge, did tie him last night. So judging by what you were just talking about, it had to be emotional to watch and to hear both Sterling and Michael Kay's calls. Weigh in on that for me for a little bit if you can. I, the first call I heard was the radio call for Toronto. And the reason was I was coming home from the Indianapolis Indians game. So I heard that, and then I later listened to the other calls. I thought they all were very good. Uh, and, you know, it's just an incredible moment for a guy who's, who's such a nice person, in addition to being a terrific ball player. But Aaron is so pleasant and friendly. And I spoke with him in the clubhouse, in the Yankee clubhouse, prior to the game that night that I broadcast. And it was September 2nd, and I said to him, Aaron had 51 homers at the time. And I said, Aaron, on this day in 1961, I remember Roger Maris hitting his 52nd and 53rd homers. He said, really? He said, well, let's try to make tonight special. Well, it turned out he didn't hit one that night, but he was so nice and friendly and respectful, and you know, I always remember that. And uh, it was such an emotional moment seeing him hit number 61 last night. What a great moment. I'm so glad I got you on tape saying that you talked to Aaron Judge. The access to the players was granted to you for that one game because you were on the radio? How did that work out? Here's what's really special about it, too, in addition to speaking to Aaron Judge, that Aaron Boone, Van Van Mulens, the assistant hitting coach, Clay Holmes, Jamison Tyone, Garrett Cole, all have Indianapolis Indians ties. Um, except for Bam Bam, the other four played for the Indianapolis Indians, and Bam Bam was the Indianapolis Indians hitting coach. 
So it was so great to see all of them prior to the game too and shake hands with them, congratulate them on all they've achieved. So it was a real special day. Well, is there an opportunity, and I want to get to this, Mr. Steinbrenner's wish being granted, you know, as I say, nearly 50 years later in a second, but any chance we get to hear you in 2023? Because, you know, John Sterling is cutting back as the years go on, so any more opportunities that they've discussed with you? Not yet, no. Uh, hopefully that might happen. I'm not sure if it will, but uh, I had a lot of fun, received a lot of nice comments, and uh, we'll see. You know, that is something that uh if if it is if it's there it'd be wonderful uh and but if, it's going to be a while anyway till i find something out about that i think were you nervous at all because obviously you're this lifelong inky fan and you write the letter to george simon or were you nervous was there nerves or how, how was your energy and, and feeling coming into that game against well, tampa as i said susan waldman and jack maldonado made me feel very good but there's still a bit of nervousness in the beginning and i i read something about that once alex and it and it said and i think this is so true if you're in a new situation like that and you're not a little nervous it's not big enough for you mm. so I, I i believe that so but i felt i settled in there you know about the second inning or so and felt really good you know nothing like having you in a dome that has so many dimensions. So what was the toughest play to call that night at the trot? Well, I asked them about it. I asked Susan and I talked with the Tampa Bay broadcasters. I said, how often does the ball hit the roof up there? And they said about once a series. Well, it turned out it didn't happen that night. And it was a low scoring game. So uh, low scoring to the bottom of the eighth when Tampa Bay scored six runs. Tampa Bay had a one nothing lead and in Christian Bethancourt of Tampa Bay had a two-run homer, their catcher. Ironically, he was the Indianapolis Indians' most viable player last year. So it was low scoring, and there weren't a lot of challenges like that. That that Tropicana Field, as you said, can uh, you know, can occur, but it didn't happen that night. All right, I want to stick in Indianapolis for a minute because you guys have, uh, you know, just a little quarterback named Matt Ryan at the helm of the Colts. I mean, can you see a turnaround in the NFL season this year with him? Well, there was a turnaround Sunday, and the first two games were not good at all. And Jacksonville were finding out as better than we thought they were, but not only were the first two games not good, but the Indianapolis Colts lost to Jacksonville the last game of the season was the worst loss in the history of the franchise. All they had to do was beat a 2-14 and team to make it to the postseason, and not only did they lose, they got clobbered. They weren't ready to go. So there was a lot of people. There were a lot of people who were very upset after the first two games. Now the Colts got a couple of breaks, but Matt Ryan was great on that last drive, and uh, you know he's fumbled a few too many times and been intercepted. But uh, I won't watch the game Sunday. Normally I would. But uh, I'll be at Yankee Stadium on Sunday. So well, you know what's amazing? I plan on going to that, so I would love to meet up with you Sunday. That would be very interesting. I'll I'll stay in touch because I plan on going Sunday. So, yes. So anyway, but to answer your question about the Colts, uh, that win against the Chiefs on Sunday turned things around for them. They have a big game against Tennessee this Sunday, and we'll see what happens there. But still... Uh, that really, they had to improve their performance, which they did, and they also won the game. All right, I know you do a lot of uh, of the professional teams 
but do you ever deal with the Colts? Do you deal with, um, and I know you do college there, so give us a little bit of the NCAA work you do as well. Well, I used to do that. I would cover the Colts, the Pacers, Purdue, Indiana University, and Notre Dame as a radio network reporter or stringer uh, for football and basketball. And I did that the first 15 years I lived here, but I haven't done that in a while. Uh, and I do, as I mentioned, play-by-play the high school football and basketball game of the week on television uh, in Central Indiana. My first football game, in fact, is tomorrow night. So I'm looking forward to that, going, making the transition over to football. So, uh, but I do follow the teams closely. Indiana had been unbeaten until losing to Cincinnati this past Saturday. Purdue's not off to a good start at all. And even though they won Saturday, Jeff Brown, their coach, was not happy at all afterward and said, we're not a very good football team now. And Notre Dame had a couple of tough losses early as won a couple of games. So I do still follow them. I want to bring the focus back to baseball because I feel like you grew up loving this game. And uh, remind uh, listeners, you were a New Yorker by birth. Like uh, You have New York yes. blood in you, right? I'm from Brooklyn, and I loved the Knicks as a kid, too, and the football giants. And so, uh, you know, I have great memories of the Knicks. Uh, first, when I was a really young kid, they weren't very good. I started following the NBA and Major League Baseball, the Knicks, the Yankees when I was six or seven and the football giants when I was 11. Uh, in fact, my most disappointing loss as a football fan was the Giants losing the 1963 championship game at the Chicago Bears when the Giants had a much better team than the Bears did, much better. Uh, the two previous years, the Green Bay Packers beat the Giants in the NFL title game and the Packers were better, but not the Bears that year. So that was my most disappointing loss. And uh, with the Knicks, you know, it was wonderful to see them win the championship, uh, to see them win the second championship. And uh, since the mid-1970s, though, I've been in the Midwest in Indianapolis. Still have family. My sister still lives in Brooklyn, so I still have family there. Well, I'm sure you're still a Giant fan, though, right? Even though you're in Colts territory, that blood of yours still roots for the Giants, right? Bill, Bill, I pull for the Colts. Bill Polian, who is a native New Yorker mm-hmm. from the Bronx, did a wonderful job. He's a Hall of Famer. He became the Colts president in the late 90s, and we became good friends, and uh, he's a guy I've pulled for, and, you know, as I said, a native New Yorker, a terrific executive, a Hall of Famer. All right. Now, here here's the million-dollar question based on your book, um, 61 Humorous and Inspiring Lessons I Learned from Baseball. How many home runs do you see Judge getting here? Because... It's going to be more than 62, right? I have to believe that. You would think so, but here's another thing, Alex. Let's say he hits number 62 in the next few days. Maybe he'll take a day off because he hasn't had a day off in a long time. I'm not sure of that, but it could be a possibility. So, uh, look, you, you can't – baseball by far is the most unpredictable game of them all. It's the only sport where the defense has the ball, and that should never be forgotten. So who knew he'd go seven games without a home run? Then he may hit a few in bunches. You just don't know. And just saying what he's going to do, I feel certain that he'll do it because he's got, what, seven games left, I believe? Right. So I feel certain he'll do it, but how many? I'm not sure exactly. Nobody really is. From your perspective, the Mantle Maris race was unbelievable, wasn't it? Oh, it was incredible. The happiest memories of that, I remember it so well. I remember sitting there as a nine-year-old 
and my dad saying to me, wouldn't it be something if they both did it? And they almost did. But the great weekend was September 1st, 2nd, 3rd in 1961. The Tigers came into the Yankee Stadium for a three-game series just a game and a half back. The Moose, Bill Scowling, got a base hit to win the game in the ninth inning, one nothing on Friday. Saturday, Roger Maris in his 52nd and 53rd as the Yankees beat the Tigers. They beat Frank Larry that day, who was the Yankee killer, a guy when the Yankees were great in those days. Frank Larry, right-handed pitcher, was 28-13 and 13 lifetime against the Yankees, below 500 against everybody else. So Maris hit numbers. 52 and 53 on Saturday. On Sunday, again, now the lead was three and a half. Sunday, Mantle homered in the first inning. Then he came up leading off the ninth inning with the Yankees down by a run, and he homered, and that was number 50. A moment later, Elston Howard homered to win the game, and the Yankees reeled off 13 straight wins to blow up in the pennant race. But it's important to note, despite Maris, despite Mantle, Whitey Ford winning 25 games in the Young, they were in the pennant race until mid-September. It's amazing you mentioned pitching because Cole has actually tied Ron Guidry for the single-season strikeout record for the Yankees. And people are, like, kind of dumping on him when he doesn't have a good game, but that's still impressive in itself. So another pitching feat. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, 61 years later. Yes, absolutely terrific. And as I said, Garrett is a former Indianapolis Indian. It was great to see him. We took a picture together uh, when I was there in Tampa with the Yankees. And uh, hopefully he'll do, he'll do well in the postseason. And the postseason, by the way, is so unpredictable, too, because anybody can get hot. And if you get hot at the right time, you can go a long, long way in the postseason in baseball. Absolutely. Okay, one, one last thing, because I do want to sort of put this um, full circle here, because I think I showed you the picture. Me and Mr. Steinbrenner had a very special connection. He really took me into the Yankee family, he and my dad. And so to him, for him to be involved in this, even years later, I feel like his wish was granted. So do you, do you feel like the Yankees still carry on his wishes, I guess is my question. Oh, I think so. I think there's great respect for what he did. Randy Levine and Lon Trost, uh, Randy the President, Lon the CEO, and other executives have had great respect for him and worked for him. And uh, I think, yes, his feelings are, are, are carried on, and there's so much respect for what he accomplished and what he did. All right, Howard Kelman, I am so glad to have done this today, and please come back as the postseason rolls forward. We're going to have 200-plus team, plus win teams in the city, which has never happened in our lifetimes, by the way. So this is going to be very exciting. The Mets are terrific, too. You're exactly right, Alex. It could be something really special. We'll see how it plays up. And thank you for inviting me on today. It was an honor being on on the uh, podcast with you, Alex. And if I see you Sunday, maybe we'll do a little extra follow-up while we're in person. That'd be great. Okay. Thank you, Howard Kelman, for allowing me to shine that Garrett Sports Spotlight on you. And I hope you enjoy your weekend at the stadium. I hope that you enjoy the October 1st day of remembering, you know, 61 years ago, the anniversary of Roger Maris breaking Ruth at 61. And on that note, thanks for joining me today. And it is a uh, 
always fun. And by the way, yesterday was International Podcast Day. So thank you for continuing to listen and and subscribe. Continue to subscribe. Alex Garrett Podcasting, where all of this content is housed. Join me on this journey, will you? Thanks so much.